0: Welcome to Shifting Points of View, which is, of course, presented by Word Christchurch and the Christchurch Art Festival, and in particular, this session, which is Fight Like a Girl with Clementine Ford, Um, and I'd like you to sort of encourage to throw away your stressful weeks and whatever you've had and just be really present and settle yourselves in for a fantastic afternoon. So um, it's really wonderful to see so many people in Canterbury, and obviously a few brave men as well, um, coming to support Clementine to, you know, show that you really want to hear what she's got to say and maybe have your ideas challenged or strengthened. Um, We're here to listen and to celebrate Clementine Ford for what she actually is, which is an Australian feminist author. She's a broadcaster, mother, prolific public speaker. And uh, those things, as simple as they sound, just having a job as a feminist has brought the wrath of people who see that her speaking out... Uh, that it's just out of turn or that um, she's speaking a whole lot of twaddle, which is probably the polite way of putting it. Um, You'll hear a few swear words this afternoon. (laughs) But nevertheless, she persisted. So as Clementine says in Fight Like a Girl, her sort of memoir come manifesto, she wants us to be galvanised around these things. And if you're wondering why it's necessary to be a feminist, we live in a country where our current prime minister says he doesn't know what the word means. We have a women's minister, or a minister for women's affairs, who says she's a feminist, but only on some days. Um, So there are enough people who try to break break down Clementine's position in this world and those that would try to undermine her complex ideology with that dull kind of catch-all cry of being a feminazi or Gareth Morgan's new word for women who don't agree with him, which is fascist, <laughs> In Fight Like a Girl, you'll see uh, Clementine mine her life, absolutely dredging up the difficult memories of bullying, mental health problems, eating disorder, as she takes gender studies and then goes on, lives more, reads more, and fully realises into an inclusionary feminist who won't be told to keep that pretty mouth closed. Um, When I first started following her on Twitter and reading her columns, particularly on the dailylife.com.au, I used to think, how on earth is it possible to think so regularly of any feminist issues? How can they possibly be coming up daily? But they do. Um, Clementine is a woman who can provide reasoned argument, And um, similarly, an articulate dialogue, but that's if she thinks you deserve such a response. For instance, a man who called her fatso ended up with a reply from her that said, I will sit on you and suffocate you, and then I will eat you and I will poop you out. Um, (laughs) LAUGHTER which is my lovely segue to saying in case of an emergency, uh, <laughs> which hopefully won't be that. Um, so follow the directions of the art gallery staff and um, please turn your phone on silent if you haven't already. And if you're tweeting, the hashtag is hashtag word chicha, so hashtag word chicha, or hashtag spov for shifting points of view. Um, Clementine is set on breaking down constant sticky narratives around rape culture, in which women are blamed for being out at rape o'clock as if there were such a time, or wearing clothing that's somehow responsible for those attacks. And they're not believed, or some sharp cookie that pipes up with, but women give false complaints anyway. And she's not taking it lying down. She's harnessing her anger around it. And I'll just steal a little bit from her book here about angry women they are pathologised. Women who express anger are recast as mythically terrifying creatures, hysterical banshees, harpies, fishmongers' wives, squawking, screeching, she-beasts, making the world unpleasant for everyone around them. We are grotesque monsters, mountains of rage, engorged and swollen with our own irrational delusions about the state of the world. world sorry. So without keeping you much longer, we will also thank our sponsors, Creative New Zealand, the Christchurch City Council, the Rata Foundation, Te Runanga O Ngai Tahu, Newstalk ZB, the Christchurch Art Gallery, patron sponsors, you guys of course, um, and Clementine's visit is supported by the Copyright Agency Cultural Fund of Australia. Um, Clementine will now speak for about 40-45 minutes, although yesterday she was a real Gabba-chops, wasn't she? <laughs> We're not, so we never know when she'll finish. <laughs> and then we'd like um, about 15 minutes or so of questioning, so just get your questions ready. Um, Her book, Fight Like a Girl, is on sale in the foyer from UBS, and she'll be available to sign it after this session. There's also a $5 raffle um, with the proceeds going to the Christchurch Women's Centre, and that you can win a T-shirt, modelled here by Rachel King, director of the Word Festival, (laughs) beautifully, I must say, Um, and, and a book as well. So anyway, as Clementine says in her book, enough is enough, and I won't be silenced by this shit anymore, which is my sign to be quiet and urge you to give the welcome she deserves. Clementine Ford.
1: Thanks very much, Beck. I might have re-angled that poorly. Um, kia Koto koutou, katoa. Uh Thank you so much for having me. It's my very great pleasure to be here. I'd like to pay my respects to the Manafenua Naitahu and the Nai Huriri Hapu. Um, thank you for coming out on this uh, beautifully cold and not so drizzly as it was yesterday Sunday afternoon. And I feel extraordinarily flattered as well that we had to book a second event because the first one booked out so fast and, and the second one proved worth doing. So thank you very much. Um, I did speak... For quite a long time yesterday. Uh, A lot of it was off the cuff. So um, I will keep a closer eye on the clock today because we definitely do want to get to discussion. And I think Rachel was a bit angry at me. And I don't like I don't like people being angry at me. Which is which is ironic because people are angry at me all the time. Um, I'll just give before I start, I'll just give a very quick background for for some of you may not be familiar with me um, and my work. I've been a feminist writer for about 10 years, uh, working in newspapers, writing as a columnist and um, inciting the ire of people all over Australia and lately the world, it seems, because uh, the internet has the capacity to send men's rights activists grievances global. Um, And it's interesting because... It's interesting speaking in a country like... uh, Aotearoa, getting that pronunciation right. It's interesting speaking in a country like this because... Uh, I'm sure that you have your de- your great deal of problems with misogyny as well but i I struggle to think of a western country that's more sexist than australia um, <laughs> or more racist than australia it's I was reading an interview with Renieetto Lodge this morning in the Sunday magazine, and she was saying that she's only in um she's only going to be here for forty eight hours but people had warned her less about coming to New Zealand than they had about going to Australia, and she, of course, writes about race and racism, so that's saying something. Um, I I feel like my experience, having been a feminist writer in Australia, has been one that has been enormously rewarding as I've kind of, I guess, been present, not overseen, but been present as feminism has globally been reawoken and women's anger has been globally reawoken. So that's been an enormous privilege to be a, a part of... I guess, the public dialogue around that. Um, But at the same time, the backlash that Susan Faludi wrote about 25 years ago, 26 years ago now, which is still very much in place whenever any kind of marginalised group rises up and tries to advocate for themselves, has found new and more inventive ways to express itself. Um, We're going to look at some of the ways that that has happened in my presentation today, which is called hate mail. Which is not, as the title would imply, about how much I hate men because, as I will say later, my feelings about men are constantly focused on by outsiders. Um, It's assumed that because I advocate for women's rights, of course, I must hate men because neither two can exist without, without the other. And it sort of speaks to, as you'll see as we go through, it speaks to this assumption, particularly when women talk about anything to do with their lives this assumption from patriarchal ideals that men still must be central in that. So if women are talking about their grievances with their lives, where is the role of men in that? And if they want equality and they're sort of seeking to tear down a structural system which benefits men whilst whilst disadvantaging women, then that is perceived to be an attack on men. Um, not to single Beck out, but I noticed at the start that she acknowledged that it was great that men came today to, to challenge themselves. And I would just like to challenge that um, impulse that we have as women to constantly reward men for engaging with ideal, ideas around feminism and for engaging with women's ideas and women's representation of themselves. Um, and I will say this to you, it's not a disclaimer that I would give uh, generally, but that, I don't say that to be an attack on men. But I shouldn't have to clarify that it's not an attack on men as well because it shouldn't be the point. Um, I told a story yesterday, just before we we sort of get stuck into this, I told a story yesterday about um, an old mindfulness coach that I had who had this scrappy rescue dog called Milo and he was a beautiful little thing. Um, Very loving but obviously being a rescue dog had a history of trauma as most of them do. And I said to her when I first met him, because I was trying to be conscious of the dog's needs, is there anything that I shouldn't do around this dog that will prompt or stimulate his trauma? And she said, well, he's he's really fine around people like you, but he doesn't feel very comfortable around white men around age 30 to 45. Um, (laughs) Because in his past, these were the kinds of people that had taken care of him but had actually abused him. And I said to her how interesting it was that if you presented Milo to a room full of people, um, let's just assume it was, a, it was a general audience, not a room full of people who turned up to listen to feminist ideas. But if you presented Milo to a room full of people and you said to the white men aged 30 to 45 in that audience, I'm sorry, would you mind keeping your distance from Milo? Because he's, he's got a history of trauma with you and um, with people who look like you. And it just it, it, it prompts, um, prompts anxiety for him. I struggle to think that anyone in that room would go, oh, but hang on a minute, not all men, not all men abused Milo, and I should be allowed to go up there and pat him if I want. He shouldn't make me feel so bad about this. Because it's a dog with trauma, and people respect that. However, in my experience as a woman who writes about the experiences of trauma and violence that women suffer, the majority of which is perpetrated against them by a percentage of men, and most often men that they know, and in lots of cases, starting from when they were very young with the men in their family. If I explained to people that, um, uh, as, as, you know, when people ask this question of, well, why why do feminists hate men so much? As if that's the point. As if feminism is not actually about women not hating themselves or being allowed to not hate themselves. When that fixation is is placed on um, the role that men take up and the space that men take up in feminists' minds and how men's feelings must be catered to, what is being done there is, if you compare Milo to a woman perhaps who's experienced a great deal of trauma from the same kind of category of man that traumatised Milo the dog, people are more willing to understand the needs of a dog than they are to understand the needs of a woman. So what I advocate for is that men who do want to be allies to feminism and men who want to and who consider themselves to be really good decent blokes is that they remove themselves from the situation. They remove their feelings from the situation and instead of experiencing women's discussion of their own inequality and their own um, trauma and their own experiences of sexism and misogyny, they instead do what uh, any good empathetic person would do and that's listen and try and listen and learn and be better. As I said yesterday, the opposite of good is not bad. So when you talk about good people or in this situation, when you talk about good men, the opposite of that is not always bad men. The opposite of that is most often neutral men. So men who don't speak up against the sexism that they see being perpetrated by their colleagues or their friends or the blokes down at the pub or their sports sports mates, team members, etc. Men who don't challenge the sexism, men who kind of laugh along at a sexist joke, even if it makes them feel uncomfortable because it's also difficult for them to stand up to to the system, I suppose. And that's where our neutrality comes in. That's where we all make that decision when we have privilege. And as a white person, I have to be conscious of it as well with race issues. At what point am I allowed to excuse myself because it's not immediately affecting me and I've decided that that day it's just a little bit too difficult for me to stand up? That's neutrality and that's the opposite of being good. Um, So with that in mind, I just wanted to take you through some of the many comments that I've received over the last few years. This is, uh, as I said yesterday, I'm not bragging. (laughs) This is just a small drop in the ocean of the times men have contacted me. Some of these are just, have been sent to me just as a general kind of, I don't like you and you annoy me and you threaten my worldview and so therefore I'm going to call you a cunt. Um, Also, uh, just a disclaimer, there is a lot of bad language in the session today. Um, But something as well that I sort of say to people when I present this is, if it makes you uncomfortable to hear me saying the words, think about, how uncomfortable we should be as a society that it's considered acceptable to send this kind of language to someone. Um, I also think that, uh, just as a side note, when people talk about the word cunt being the worst word that you can say, it's the worst word you can say. It's absolutely the worst word that you can say. Generally, what they mean is it's the worst word you can say around women. No one's telling men that they shouldn't use this word in their own private company when they're talking about each other or when they're talking about women. That's considered to be okay, But our little womanly ears are too delicate to hear it, Um, which is another way that we're kind of separated and treated as being in need of saving rather than being able to advocate for our own liberation and be in charge of our own liberation. Um, And think as well on this about the fact that the more I speak out about this kind of stuff, the more content like this I'm subjected to alongside demands from men that I be nicer to them. That if I want to get men on side with the Women's Liberation Project, then I need to be nicer to them. I need to take their feelings into account. Um, Well, my response to that is that uh, women are actually nice to men all the time. perform so much unpaid emotional labor for men, for our friends, for the, for the men that we love. And we do that willingly often. We also are expected to do it a lot of the time. But at what point will people turn around and say that men need to actually start being nicer to women? Um, so let's just take a look at uh, We're starting off gently here. All you post about is being a feminist. You're almost as bad as the problem that you're trying to fight. Domestic homicide, sexual violence, uh, <laughs> Gendercide, you know, acid attacks in in India and in Europe now because acid is so cheap. Yeah, I'm almost as bad as it. You're an extremist. Pretty soon you'll wage a she had on men. Points for (laughs) wordplay. Just make sure you blow yourself up first. Cheers. Uh, You're what? Hungry and have tattoos. Uh, My Twitter profile image is an image of me eating a piece of cake, which is illegal. I don't know if you know this, but women are not allowed to eat food. Um, Or have tattoos. It's very disgusting and disrespectful and degrading for young ladies. That's no role model. A girl with tattoos and unhealthy lifestyle like eating, ugh. (laughs) And degrading men. Not something a future mother or father-in-law would like highly on. Practice what you preach. Keep it real. (laughs) Clementine Ford, you're an idiot. Women should shave their armpit whether you like it or not. It's a part of life. This is the part where you will claim that women can make up their own mind because they're individuals because you're a stupid feminist. Seriously, why don't you argue for something which will actually improve the society we live in instead of making attention-grabbing headlines? I like this one. This is one of my favourites. How does a woman with such an innocent, old-fashioned name write like a whore? When she spouts feminist patriarchy nonsense. I've never been able to figure out if it's a joke or if it's a riddle. But that's probably because I'm a woman and I've got a woman's brain. Feminism is just an attempt by the ugly women, that's me, to bring the hot women down to their level. And you are about as ugly as it gets. Do you even get laid? I bet you go through a stack of batteries every week for your 12-inch vibrator, which probably doesn't even touch the sides of your gaping cunt. You know you're a piece of shit, don't you? I honestly hope you get the worst disease imaginable. Fuck off and die. Well, he is right about one thing. I do have a gaping cunt. (laughs) That's where I hide all my secrets and all the refugee families that Australia won't let into the country. <laughs> You'd think someone that fat would have decent tits. I'm disappointed, so am I anonymous. <laughs> you really need to update your photos. Your disgusting tooth gap, they're obsessed with my tooth gap, has become wider and you've put on weight. Just because I eat, gross. Go play on a freeway, and as I say, at least the cars would be able to see me. Uh, A lot of them are very obsessed with the fact that I have a gap between my teeth and they'll say, fix your teeth, fix your fucking teeth, fix your teeth, it's so big, fix your teeth. And my teeth are perfectly straight. I just happen to have a gap in the middle of them. Um, And one person said to me, oh, that gap gap in your teeth, it's so big I could fit my dick in it. And I was like, yeah, no shit, because your dick's tiny. (laughs) Is that a Twinkie that you're inhaling into your fat fucking face, you baby-killing sow? Clearly, it's a baby. Okay, this is the bit where we get to the slut, cunt, whore, and your fat section. Um, I'm glad to see that you're all laughing because you should laugh at these things. It's not, not inherently funny that these things are sent to women, but one of the best things that we can do to respond to it is laugh. We can actually kill and destroy this kind of hatred and this misogyny with laughter. Maybe not destroy it, but we can definitely mobilise a much bigger army against it. One of the worst things that I think that people can do, um, generally speaking with trolls, especially on the internet, or with that person that you work with that you know is just, oh, just to play devil's advocate, um, (laughs) who's not playing devil's advocate at all. He's just an asshole. One of the worst things that you can do is earnestly speak about your experience, which is not to say that earnest discussions of your experience have no no place. I think that you can tell the difference between someone who's there to have a genuine dialogue and a genuine interaction. But someone who forces you to defend your experience of your life is not someone who's ever going to get on side with you. Someone who needs to have things put in the perspective of how they would feel if this was said to their mother or their daughter or their sister. Maybe but generally speaking I don't support that approach either because you shouldn't have to turn someone you shouldn't have to turn a woman into someone related to a man for people to recognize that she has human rights um, this is one of the central problems with patriarchal ideals is that women are only seen through the perspective of men's eyes women are only positioned through how we relate to men um, We've probably, every woman in this room has had an experience at least once in their life of being called one, if not all, of these names. Um, Most usually when we say something that the man calling us it doesn't like or when we make make him feel insecure or threatened somehow. Um, One of the most common experiences of this is when a woman rejects a man's attentions. Well, I didn't want you anyway, you fat bitch. Um, Okay, well, good. That's both of us then. Um, Let's just settle this and move on. Um, we also have been conditioned, of course, to think of the word fat as being a negative thing. Um, as I write in my book, you could be a woman who embodies the most, the highest of, of aesthetic standards, considered to be the most generically attractive woman in the world, and you'll still be called one of these things if you say something that a particular man doesn't like, because it's not actually about what you look like, it's about how you've made him feel. It's about how you've made him feel disempowered in front of you, which is why we go back to this idea that laughter is so powerful. Laughing at men who speak to women like this is one of the best ways to, um, I guess, pull the rug out from underneath their feet. It's one of the best ways to make them feel, instead of the one that, that has the power and is putting the spotlight on you, that suddenly all eyes are on them. It's extra especially powerful when you're doing it in a public forum, like especially in the online space, because it invites and encourages more people around you to laugh at them, Um, which is what I do. Go away, fat slut, slut, slut. But just in case you didn't get it, if you want to see a slut, just go to Clementine Ford. You are both a cunt and a whore, Clementine. Well, I did always want to be best at everything. (laughs) Of course, you like reality TV, you're a fat, useless cunt. True on both counts. Comb your hair, you misandric cunt, feminazi... Feminist Nazi cunt. Uh, At least you admit you're a misandristic cunt. Cunt. You're a dumb cunt. Cunt. Get back in the kitchen, you raging cunt. Cunt. It's really a shame that a man wasted sperm on a low-life cunt like you. Should have masturbated into the toilet. This one is great, it's one of my favourites, because I love how he seems to think that sperm is in such short, precious supply. <laughs> that men are there literally hoarding it and having to struggle, like an internal struggle with where they're going to expend it because they've only, got, they've only got a few. Oh, God, I should have put that one in the toilet! Hey, gorgeous, can I see you naked? Didn't reply, slut, kill yourself. I'm going to rape and bash you stupid little slut, lesbian scum. I got that man fired for saying that to me, um, which is another option that we have. And some people <laughs> seem to think that it's, it's going too far. It's going too far. It's going too far. How could you do that? How could you punish a man like that? It was just a joke. You just can't take words on the internet. You just can't take words on the internet. I'd just like to remind you that all of these things that are sent to me is because I write words on the internet. So the fact that I'm still standing after having experienced all these words, and yet they read one article, and this is their response, just goes to show who it is here who's actually the irrational, oversensitive, one little babies. Um, but this man wrote this, uh, sent this to me in a message after I uh, staged a protest in which I stood up for 400 girls in Adelaide who'd had their photographs, you know, n- nude private photographs stolen from their private accounts and shared publicly for men to, men in a particular forum to um, participate in the weird kind of degrading, dehumanising act of sharing what they know to be stolen photographs. And the reason I make that point is... Uh, We live in the age of freely accessible porn. You can get onto the internet and you can find find a million naked women if you want. The fact that some people who operate in these groups are still drawn to getting some kick out of looking at photographs of women who they know did not consent to have those photographs released, who they know can be additionally shamed in that act and can, can be additionally made to feel degraded, is telling. And so my response to that was to stand up for these women and to kind of expose a major news organisation in Australia which published that story under the headline, um, Girls, When Will You Learn? Because of course it's it's women's fault if we take private photographs and keep them in our private accounts. If someone comes and commits a crime against us, of course it's our fault. Um, and just think for anyone in the room, or who may still harbour these, this sort of like, well, but you've got to, you've got to be safe. You've got to be careful. You've got to, be, you know, they've only got what they're asking for. Uh, or if you know anyone who is in that, uh, who might think that way as well. It's often said to me that when I uh, overreact by reporting comments like this to men's employers, and it's only men who've, who've also got their employers listed on their Facebook account, so they've linked their Facebook. They've linked their employer with their comments, which is a violation of most employment places' uh, social media contracts. So I'm not the one in the wrong. When I've done that before, people have said to me things like, um, oh, you, you know, you're you're going too far. This is, you just can't handle words, as I said. You know, why are you punishing men like this? You know, he doesn't deserve to lose his job. I'm not saying what he did was right, but what you've done is just as bad, if not worse. Because when a woman stands up for herself and doesn't just take it lying down and doesn't sit there and wallow in her own shame and in her own fear, of course, that's us being just as bad, if not worse, than the man who sends you a message on the internet saying that he's going to come and rape and bash you. Um, Now, if you consider the same kinds of people who would make that very vitriolic argument are probably the same kinds of people who, if Ryan Warburton went into a 7-Eleven and stole a Mars bar, $1.50, $1.50, right? Nothing, nothing. It's, it's not even impacting on anyone. If he just slipped it into his pocket and walked out, there was no violence involved. If he were caught, that same kind of person who argues that the woman is overreacting in this situation would probably say, oh, I should spend a night in jail. She'd spend a night in jail because he stole, stole a Mars bar. He stole a Mars bar from a 7-Eleven. Um, at the very least, Ryan Warburton would be forced to repay the money for the Mars bar. It would be acknowledged that what he had done was wrong. He may even be prevented from going back into that 7-Eleven. So once again, you have a situation where a much more minor crime is treated as being real, but the crimes that are committed against women. And it is a crime to send in Australia, it's a crime to send a message like this using a carriage service. So it's not just like an imaginary emotional crime. It's an actual crime. But because it's being committed against women, It's just not that big a deal. You know, why why don't you women just, like, toughen up a bit? Just harden the fuck up. Eat eat a bowl of harden the fuck up. Without people realising that actually this is the kind of the daily landscape of most of our lives is just dealing with this sort of threat and fear all the time that if we step over the mark, that this is what we'll be greeted with. Now, it's very unlikely that he would come up and say this to my face. It's also extremely unlikely that he would follow through with it. But the point is supposed to be that he is reaffirming to me that he has more power than I do, Uh, which he doesn't because I got him fired. (laughs) Also sent at the same time, you are the most annoying feminist slut to have ever walked the earth. The most annoying feminist slut... Please sit on a butcher's knife so that you may, may never be able to reproduce. Um, you should be both beaten and sodomised. You're a fucking disgrace, you ugly cunt of a thing. You are a total fucking hypocrite for having a whinge about what others write about. Get a load of some of the hate-filled bile you write. Never never have said that I'm going to rape and bash someone, by the way. Um, about others, and yet you have a whinge when you get a dose of your own medicine. Fuck off, you worthless gutter trash trollop. Go suck on more Muslim cock, you white trash inbred bigot. Uh, Again, I'll just very quickly make the point that one of the things that I often experience from anti-feminist men, and again, you probably have experienced this too, is this suggestion that as women who are advocating for liberation and empowerment, we are being selfish if we focus on the liberation and empowerment that is in need in our own communities. Of course, we all have it so good here, um, you know, we don't have anything to complain about. If we really cared about women, then we'd go over there to that sort of homogenous place where it's coincidentally populated by brown people. Um, We'd go over there, and we'd fix their problems. We'd advocate for liberation for those women. Uh, It's a really common tactic, and um, I mostly ignore it because, of of course, I advocate for the liberation of women everywhere, but I also know that Women in, um, in the Middle East, which is where they were always talking about, have very vibrant feminist movements and they're capable of running those feminist move- movements theirsel- uh, themselves. And the best thing that I can do and the best thing that any of us can do is to educate ourselves about what those women are doing and to be become familiar with the work that they're doing and become familiar with what they say that they need. Of course, these people are never interested in that because they don't actually read anything that women write. Um, they also don't... If they were confronted with women who uh, live in, say, Iran who were feminists, they wouldn't support them either because the only kind of advocation for women's liberation that they're ever comfortable with is the one that they get to be in control over, the one that they get to be able to dictate and lead, which is also why, in my experience, when there's this kind of like popular cultural narrative that if a man... Uh, were to beat a woman, then oh, if a man were, was ever to beat my sister, then I'd get I'd get some of my mates and I'd go around there and I'd teach him a lesson. And this is fine. Men enacting vengeance on other men who commit harm against women is a very popular trope, and it's part of the idea of the masculine saver, savior. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with men pulling up other men on their behaviour, but there's also a, a particular kind of man who reacts very strongly, who will who will claim that that is what he would do, but reacts very strongly when women talk about standing up for themselves. When women say, um, oh, you know, I'd m- even make a joke about I'd beat the shit out of a guy who ever laid a hand on me or whatever. Oh, that's violence. You're advocating, advocating violence. Advocating violence. That's terrible. Isn't all violence bad? And what I've noticed and what I've realised over the last few years working in this space is that there's a real problem with looking at women's liberation from, in a way and in, 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 and in a mode that just replicates the same problems of patriarchy. So when you create, which is why going back to the start when I said, you know, it's, it's not really part of my thing now to thank men for turning up to listen to women speak. What purpose is there to advocate for liberation if all you're going to do is turn around at the end of the day and say, okay, well, thank you men for being feminist. It's so great. At what point do we get to stop thanking men for taking an interest in women's lives. Because the moment that we do, the moment that we say, OK, I think everything's pretty equal now. I think we've we've progressed, so maybe we can stop with all the cookie baking. Maybe we can stop with all the hand-holding and we can actually just stop thanking men altogether. I think that if that's the mode that you've become used to, then you're going to notice when it disappears and all of a sudden that will feel like a loss of equality for you. It's not equal for women to continue to do the emotional labour that ha- holds men's hands through the Feminist Project. They are very welcome to join the Feminist Project, but I am not going to give them any special credit for turning up. Um, there are a few men in this room today, and uh, I'm not going to say that's great that you came, although, of course, you're very welcome. But another thing that I noticed, and I was talking with uh, uh, about this with someone this morning, is that... When women start... I think in Christchurch you have something called Broadly Speaking. Someone was telling me about that. It's a women's only event. Um, In my experience in Australia, whenever whenever anything is organised that is women only, of course a proportion of people come out and they say, oh, that's sexist, that's sexist, you're excluding men. Oh, so you'll be all right with men's gentlemen clubs now then, won't you? And it's like, well, they still exist. Um, And there's a very different dynamic in women coming together and talking about their experiences of being marginalised in the world as women, then there is men who work in white-collar jobs as CEOs getting together to talk about how they can make other white men in white-collar jobs also become CEOs. Um, How they can subconsciously collude with each other to make sure that their working environment looks like them. And I'm not making a direct comparison here because I understand that racism is very different structurally from misogyny, and it's, it's a tricky thing for me to make this observation as a white woman, because of course I experience privilege when it comes to, to racism, but again in that Renieto Lodge interview this morning, she was talking about the backlash that she receives from some people of colour who suggest to her that she's successful, so therefore it contradicts what she's writing about um, needing to dismantle white supremacy. And she observed that, yes, she is successful, but the more successful she becomes, the wider the rooms she's in become as well. So this is something that structurally we need to understand that as you head towards the top of the pyramid, the pyramid starts to look very samey, uh, or the peak of the pyramid starts to look very samey. so we need to not replicate the structures of inequality that got us in this position in the first place, which is also why uh, another good point about how men need to remove themselves and their feelings from the situation. If it's not about you, then it's not about you. So stop making it about you. Um, I, gotta, I thought I was going to speed through this, because I did go through the slides quicker, but it's coming up to 340. So I just <laughs> look, it's just more slut, 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 slutty cunt rag. Uh, you're a no good slut, um, you would gibber less with a cock in your mouth, so you'd better hope I do not find you, unless you want a cock in your mouth, which you probably do, then that will probably be something for you to look forward to. That sort of ended up quite nice in the end, didn't it? Okay, probably probably you'd enjoy that. Uh, you're a fucking slut, congratulations, you just graduated from slut to cunt, Your actions far outweigh the use of the word slut, which in turn makes you a cunt. Another riddle. (laughs) How come no one has posted this yet? Slut. Um, Why don't you get me fired, you little slut? This was because I got another man fired for calling me slut. Um, Go fuck yourself, you fucking ugly feminist. Slut. Stupid slut. 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 Phone the police, crybaby. You are such a massive slut. Clementine, shut your slutty mouth, whore. Man-hating slut, that's all you're passionate about, carpet muncher. Uh, I love how they think that calling you a lesbian is so hurtful, you know. <laughs> Firstly, if I were a lesbian, which I'm half lesbian anyway, if, you were, if, you, if I were a lesbian then I wouldn't care whether or not they think that I hate men. Um, I certainly wouldn't be embarrassed about my carpet munching. Um, and if I'm not, then why... I mean, again, this is just... It's another way to disempower women because it's centralising... It's This kind of man centralises men in the equation. He thinks that the worst way to... Or the best way, sorry, to degrade and undermine a woman is to remove his attraction from her, to let her know that in no world would he fuck her. He probably would, by the way, but... Um, <laughs> but also as if, like, she cares, you know? I think that that's another really powerful liberation that you can, can kind of experience within yourself is when you realise that it doesn't matter if, you know, a random man who's not even using his real name on the internet says that he wouldn't jane to stick his dick in you. Like, so what, you know? Big deal. That's That makes two of us. We're agreed then. Um... When we kind of get over this idea that we need to be attractive in order for our our opinions to be worth something, then we actually become a lot more confident about sharing those opinions. Um, I don't care whether or not someone finds me unattractive. I get called fat and ugly all the time. And one of the things that I hope this talk achieves with the repetition of words like cunt and slut and whore and fat is that it kind of diminishes and desensitises you to those words as well. It stings a lot more to hear that word five times than it does to hear it 150,000 times. Um, Trust me, I know. So now I hear someone calling me a cunt and I get mad that that person thinks that this is an appropriate way to engage in dialogue. I also get mad that this person thinks that that's something that he can easily point to, to undermine women. But I don't personally feel upset because I've been called a cunt on the internet. Um, I saw you recently, you jeez, you have put on weight. I wonder how many cats you have at home. Um, I think I replied to him, none, I ate them all. <laughs> uh, we probably don't have time at all to get into this section, but, it, but basically, in short, it's uh, just a, um... It's lots of comments about how I deserve to be raped. I hope a Muslim man, get, get male gang rape you. Again, Muslim, they're sort of really tapping into their racism there. Um, Because white men never get together and rape women. Um, Delicious irony, though. The uglies like you who will never be raped are always banging on about it. Um, I get a mixture of you deserve to be raped, uh, I will rape you, and you are too ugly to be raped, which is why you're so upset about rape. Um, uh, Tell me what rape joke has led to rape. Uh, This was because I'd written an article about how jokes are actually not innocent and sexist jokes are the thing that underpins the worst kind of misogyny. You can't get to the worst expressions of misogyny until you've created a foundation in the, in the culture that you live in that allows for those steps to be made. It's all part of a continuum. It's not in individual random acts that just kind of disconnected from each other. Um, and what people don't realize, or what some people don't realize, is that if you tell a joke in which the punchline is that someone is raped, not only are you kicking down and the idea of kicking down and versus kicking up is that if your joke is making fun of people with less power than you, then you're kicking down. If you tell a joke about rape in which the punchline is rape culture, I think that that can be funny. Um, but that when if, you, if you're in a group of people who are telling jokes about rape and how funny it is, even if you think, oh, but it's just a joke, I would never do it, it doesn't mean anything. Well, statistically speaking, you know rapists. Statistically speaking, you know... People who've been raped, and you definitely know people who've raped them. So what happens when the person who's in that circle, who's hearing the joke, is laughing along and goes, yeah, people, secretly, they all think like me. Secretly, it's fine, you know. Um, how, something I've been struggling with over the last few years is understanding how situations arise, where you know, society loves to talk about how no one, no one condones rape. Rape is the worst thing that anyone can do. People, I had a kid at a university tell me recently, no one, there's no such thing as rape culture. No one's teaching women, how, no one's teaching anyone how to rape. Rapists go to jail for a really long time. It was at the end of a presentation I'd just given in which i discussed how rape culture was not about teaching people how to rape but about providing a situation in which which the impact of rape was minimised, in which the understanding of what rape was was completely morphed and also in which people who were convicted of rape did not go to jail for a long time Um, and yet he was still unable to wrap his head around it because he obviously adhered to this very strong mindset that rape is something that happens in an alleyway It happens between strangers, and the impact of it is made more worse dependent upon how many different intersections the rapist occupies. So if the rapist is uh, homeless, if they have mental illness, if they're drug affected, and particularly if they're men of colour, then it becomes worse. But if it's perpetrated by someone who has a degree of privilege, who has friends and family defending them, then all of a sudden it's questionable. That's what rape culture is. When you create a situation in which the circumstances around very clear and obvious sexual violence become questionable based on the future potential of the person who's committed the crime, that's rape culture. So I wrote this article about how these jokes are not meaningless. These jokes actually contribute to rape culture and they tell the rapist in the room that what he thinks is okay. They also, I think, help to lead to situations in which, Uh, I mean, I'm sure you're all familiar with the Auckland Roastbusters. How does a group of boys, if we live in a world where rape is looked down on, where, where rape culture is denied, where sexual violence is abhorred, how does a group of ordinary, average teenage boys not only manage to do what they did but to find a gang of boys to do it with? Who started the conversation? What made them all think that it was okay? What made them think that this wasn't that big a deal? So that's what I think is important when you target jokes like this. And, of course, he said, trust me, you have no fear of being raped. You're too unattractive and fat. Um, it's quarter two, so I'll wrap up now. That's probably given us enough to discuss. But just to sort of, like, go through, it's, 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 there's way more. All about how I didn't need to be beaten. Um, uh, this one I really liked. To just very quickly go over it. He sent me the first email... It was, it was a, an acrostic about my name, Cumbucket, Lousy. You could have used lazy there. That would have been better. Cumbucket, Lousy, Evil, Malicious, Eyesore, Nasty, Terrible, Insane, Nonsense, Evil, Fat Fuck, Obese, Repulsive, Dumb Cunt. Hey there, Slut Guts, I'm trying to understand why you hate men so much. Why? Why would I? <laughs> I'm trying to understand. I'd really like to see things from your point of view, but I can't seem to get that f- my head that far up my ass. Jeez, your assistants must get jealous of all the shit that comes out of your mouth. Talking about your mouth, that motherfucker looks like a torn faggot's asshole. Is that why you hate men? Took so much cock in the face, you get permanent stretch lines around your mouth, and your jaw been busted open. You need braces to fix that fucking Grand Canyon gap. Tooth gap? I'm only joking context, bitch. Um, this may have been about jokes about, the, after the article that I wrote about jokes about rape. Um, but I really like it because, firstly, I respect an acrostic. <laughs> um, but secondly, uh, he's made a, a little typo there. And I thought of, uh, well, I didn't actually notice it at first. But looking back on it afterwards, I thought, well, maybe he, maybe he had meant to write your assistance. Like, I've got a PA or something. Like, I can afford that. Uh, I can't. Um, despite the fact, of course, that feminism is a billion-dollar industry, I don't know if you know. I'm just like a Scrooge McDuck, just diving into my pool of gold. So he sent me this, and then he must have noticed his typo, because so he sent me another email. <laughs> edit. Come bucket fat fuck. Edit. And he's corrected his mistake. Just, just so, just because you know, just he would hate for me to read it and read the first one with the typo. It's a good thing that he corrected it and sent it to me. Did not fix the fact that he used evil twice, though, in his acrostic. Um, so you can't... I can't be upset about something like that. I wouldn't have been upset about it anyway. But when you realise that this is the kind of person that you're dealing with, this is that it's some sad loser sitting at home writing his acrostic poem out and then going, oh, fuck, I made an error. Ooh, <laughs> better fix it. Oh, that'll show her. Um, no, I don't want to see your penis. Uh, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, I'll just skip to the end. Okay, so why do you hate men? Why would I hate men? Not all men, of course. Um, it's not about men. It's not about men. But I do like this, so Anti-Feminism Australia is run by a guy in Australia who is essentially stalking me, Um, he, if you check out his blog, it's it's basically just a blog about me, he says, as many of you may have realised, we are currently at war with feminists. Feminism is in its last days, so feminists are scared and ramping up their level of hate to unprecedented levels. Uh, come Fort not be given a platform to spread vile hate speech, blah, 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 blah. Go and report her. The more people that report her posts, the more likely they are to be removed. I also encourage you to do the same for other hate pages such as Feminist United, which have also been attacking us. <laughs> I have very rarely ever even mentioned this person, by the way, but of course he has is, he is definitely been under attack from feminists. Um, this person also organised for a bunch of people to go to Avid Reader Bookshop in Brisbane, which had shared the post that I'd made about um, getting my second book contract and just congratulated me, sent all these people there to leave them one-star reviews because this was part of their new tactic, that they would leave one-star reviews on any business that associated themselves with Clementine Ford. Um, But I liked that because this this next screenshot really uh, restored my faith and is an example of how I don't hate all men at all. I love some men, I especially love funny men. Feminism is in its last days. I still haven't gotten tickets to see it. <laughs> so good on Brett. He can be one of the last ones up against the wall come the revolution. But failing that, if you're still struggling with how to respond, Emma Stone gif eating ice cream and crying is always a good one. It's a good form of mockery. Or if you'd like to, if you'd like to sort of be a little bit more dismissive if someone says that how much they hate you, you can go with cute little girl. I don't care if you don't like me. I love me. Wink. (laughs) Or my favourite, just a monkey pissing into its own mouth. Thank you. I only went ten minutes over, Rachel. Oh, it's... it's, it would have been good if it had frozen there. Uh, thank you. No, sorry. So just
2: shout
0: We're not recording today, oh, so... No, we are. Oh, are oh? oh. we? We are. We are recording today, Beth. <laughs> we are recording today. Um, look, thank you very much, and wasn't that fantastic? So... <laughs> thank you i just like to say as well, so I listened to this yesterday, or at least did a different version of this, and um, a friend had been to something else, and she'd also had a, a women's law conference the weekend before, and they'd had five sort of um, women speak, and we had so much to talk about last night. Like, it was just, yeah, real eye-opener and mind-opener and conversation, definitely conversation, not well-started. Yeah, it was fantastic. So, look, we just want to throw the room out to have a discussion, so if any of you've got any questions, let's see. Oh, there we go. Nice and easy in the front. Thank you very much. That was awesome. Thank you, Fiona. Fiona came <laughs> yesterday. I hope you had
1: a different experience today.
0: I did, but it just gets better every time. <laughs> oh. um, one thing I was wondering is, like, some of these guys are really full-on in their threats. Do you ever worry that they're... Or have they ever turned up at your house? Because it's easy to track people down these days.
1: Um, I mostly... I would say a 95% don't worry. I think that partly that's because I just... If I worried about it all the time, then I'd just be a ball of anxiety. Um, but also, I genuinely feel like most of them are just... To all talk, you know, half of the men that contact me after very Australian-specific incidents to register their disgust are men who live in America, who've kind of been alerted on the great MRA grapevine, um, which is just—it's like a bat signal, but it's just a very flaccid penis in the air. <laughs> I shouldn't make that joke. That's—that's—that's that's, that's actually a cheap joke, you know. It's—it's it's, a—it's a cheap joke to make, and I apologise. But. Um, I have sort of lately been thinking that I shouldn't make the tiny penis jokes because it's not, it's not, that's part of patriarchy as well, to shame shame bodies. Um, so I shouldn't have made that joke, but sometimes I am not a perfect person. Um, uh, no, but, but there have been a couple of times when I've thought that maybe I, you know, I've tried to go to the police, but the police don't really take it that seriously. Um, so I have... I guess just tried to deal with it in... You know, it's not so much people turning up at my house. In Australia, there's this um, Facebook page called Blokes Advice. It's got, like, hundreds of thousands of followers on it. And one of the things that I've done that's earned me a lot of ire is I've exposed images from within that group where they're making direct jokes about rape and how funny rape is and how they'd love to rape certain women. Um, Or jokes about beating women. There's lots of memes that are shared there about, you know, like... The classic kind of, like, um, a picture of a woman with two black eyes and should have listened the first time captioned on it, you know. Which I... I just, you know, going back to that idea of what makes a joke and what makes something funny, I just don't call me crazy. I just don't find it funny to laugh at images of women being beaten. And I don't think it's funny that, uh, you know, this defence of it just being a joke... It's always just a joke when you're not the target of the abuse and the violence. But to kind of, I guess, highlight as well the very thin-skinned nature of a lot of this kind of guy, um, they they cannot handle any jokes made about themselves. They can't handle it when they're the kind of they're, when they're a target of just mockery. Um, I posted something on my Facebook page once, which I thought was a very funny joke about white people and about white supremacy. And it was just an image of a tweet that said, in quotes, how is that racist dash white people proverb? And I thought that was hilarious. And we do need to be aware of, of our own complicity in racism and our own perpetuation of racism. And I didn't see how anyone could possibly see that and be genuinely offended or targeted. But, of course, we're living in an era where the rise of white supremacy is happening before us, where now suddenly neo-Nazism in America and probably soon in Australia, um, not sure about it, whether it would take hold here, um, but where it's suddenly not being completely outlawed but saying, well, you know, everyone's got entitled to their opinion, got to hear both sides of the story. Um, so, of course, white people can be incredibly sensitive about... Uh, and whiny about being suddenly the target of jokes that they've historically always pushed onto other people. Because I expose that kind of um, collusion and in, in sort of, you know, the toxic masculinity of those spaces, I have been targeted by a lot of members of those groups. That's what makes me scared. It's not people coming to my house. It's the fact that there's so many hundreds of thousands of them that I could be walking down the street in Melbourne and walk past some of them and not know who they are. The idea, uh, you know, there's a, um, a, a columnist in Australia called Van Battam, and she was, she's she's writes about feminism a little bit, but she's mostly a political writer. And she was punched on the street one day by someone just out of the blue. It, ma- it makes me nervous for me, but it mostly makes me nervous because I'm most often out on the street with my baby, and I don't like the idea of anything happening to him. I don't like the idea even of anyone secretly taking a photograph of him. Um... So, yeah, it's just made me more, like, hyper-aware. And that's a kind of an uncomfortable state to be in because it, it, it's for the first time, I guess, because I have lived a very privileged life in terms of violence and, and experiencing that particular kind of trauma. For the first time in my life, I feel like I'm on edge a lot. We'll do it. Sorry, we'll just get the microphone.
0: Um, obviously, you're working in a very male-dominated <coughs> industry. And what's it been like kind of pitching your ideas to editors? And what's your response been from <coughs> sort of fellow
2: journalists or, like, commentators within the Australian media industry?
1: <coughs> Sorry. Um, it can be very bruising. I am very lucky because I write for Daily Life, which is a women's-run website. So my editors have always been brilliant. They're all feminist. Um, it's definitely a women's website that... Uh, I mean, it's, it's weird because people here. I think that we need to sort of, like, get past this idea that anything associated with women is inherently rubbish. So I sometimes have people say to me, like, respond to my column saying... Um, I'm going to say something positive about a column mine right now, so I'm not bragging, but saying things like, brilliant column, but I wish it wasn't in the lady pages. I wish it was in the main newspaper. And of course, I would love for it to be in, put in a section where it was considered applicable to all people. But I also don't really agree with the idea that because it's in the women's section that it's it's somehow like in the bad section of the paper, or it's in the section where it's not real news, where it's not it's not um, considered to be important. And I think... That 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 is done to women all the time. Women do that to ourselves. Um, you know, we, will, we, we characterise in, our, in some feminist sort of moves to, um, I guess, distance ourselves from stereotypes about gender. We also <coughs> characterise everything that's remotely associated with women as being shit. So, you know, I've got feminist friends who refuse to put their daughters in pink. Um, that's their choice. But I don't see that the answer to stereotyping children and stereotyping girls in particular is to say that all things that girls might enjoy are are things that should be taken away from them. Now, I'm probably considered one of Australia's chief man-haters by other people. Uh, In fact, news.com.au over the weekend wrote an article about me, a a news article, so not even an opinion piece, where they described my job as anti-male activist. But I grew up loving pink. I loved sparkles. I loved Barbie dolls. I don't think that, that, yeah, I think that we've got to be really conscious about celebrating the spaces that women share with each other, and celebrating the many different things that we are interested in. So having said that, I've been very lucky with my editors. But I also think that because I write about women's issues, uh, or because I write about human rights issues from a women's perspective, that other people are prone to dismiss that and it's not just people who are opposed to that you know, I feel like there's a lot of disdain from progressive white lefty men towards women writing or talking about feminism because it's not a real issue you know we should be focused on other things we should be focused on dismantling class and yes we should be focused on dismantling class but women are not secondary to all of this so it's kind of like it's a sort of two step forward one step back
0: Hi, I wanted to ask you if you had any advice um, to counter sexism in with people we know, like in the workplace, uh, family members, just daily life stuff, little stuff that don't seem to matter enough to sometimes say anything. Yeah, but that might
1: (laughs) it's those like little daily microaggressions that you just have to wade through every day, that just uh, like sort of make you feel quite exhausted by the end of the day and you're not sure why until you realise, oh, yeah, it's because I just dealt with a lot of sexism today. Um, it's it's a much trickier prospect to deal with that kind of sexism than it is to deal with the sort of more big-ticket items. And it's particularly hard for women who have to deal with sexism within their own families. Um, <laughs> What does the woman who's been married to her husband for 30 years do when she suddenly has a feminist awakening and she realises that she's been ironing shirts and cooking dinner for the last 30 years and doing a lot of unpaid emotional labour? In fact, I saw a man leave a comment today on something about... um, it was an article about how, and it's this is true. This is not even a controversial thing to say. It was an article about how the medical industry and the health industry has sidelined women in their um, in the in the kind of like the race for cures for things because women are not tested on because there are too many there are considered to be too many variables with women. Um, uh, generally speaking, the menstrual cycle is something that precludes drugs from being tested. So most Drugs are tested on um, bodies that have uh, XY chromosomes. Um, so this is this is all fact. And this guy commented on it saying, why should men help women? Women don't help men. <laughs> and I was like, he was holding a baby in his picture as well. And I was like, I'm pretty sure you didn't push that out of your body. Um, but... It's, this is our, Like, all of this invisible work that we do, I think, as well adds to that exhaustion, you know? So one of the ways, the best ways that you can respond to it is if you if you dare to have an earnest conversation about it, which you may be more willing to have an earnest conversation with a family member or a friend than you are a colleague, or vice versa, depending on what your family's like, um, you can sit down and you can, you can say, look, why do, why do you say that? Why do you think that? You know, let's have a conversation about it. Or a much quicker and easier way, if someone said something sexist or if something, if someone has tried to make a joke that is sexist, um, there's two things that you can do which, which are very effective. And one is you can say, I didn't hear that. Can you repeat it? And then they might repeat it. And then you say, I'm sorry, I still didn't hear that. Can you repeat it again, please? And then in the repeating it a third time, they realise that what they've said is inappropriate and all of a sudden it's that spotlight feeling again. So the spotlight is suddenly on them rather than on you. The onus is not on you to prove why the comment was bad. The onus is on them to justify why the comment was worth it, Um, which is just a a subtle shifting of power that's very effective. And to also achieve that, you can say, "Um, I don't get it. Can you explain it to me? Just feign ignorance. And... Forcing someone to explain why they think it's funny to tell women to get back into the kitchen. They may make a valiant attempt to do it, but in the explanation of that, hopefully they would realise that that is not a funny joke. It's not even necessarily an offensive joke. It's just a very boring joke. Um, But what would I know? Women aren't funny. So those are two things that you can do. And also the third thing I think that is vital is to... Make sure you have at least one contact where you can, and hopefully a whole gang of contacts, of other women who understand what your experience is. People who you don't have to explain things to, even well-meaning people, you don't have to explain what it feels like, people who just get it. It's very important to be, it's very important for your spirit to be able to spend time with people who recognise that your interpretation of your own life is very much real.
0: Hi Clementine. Um, I'm a teacher and I was wondering if you had any advice for how to explain to young people that the sharing of naked photos um, via Snapchat or the internet is a feminist issue or a gender issue. Like not just the slut shaming of girls who get caught, but that the sending of them in the first place it seems to largely fall as a burden on women rather than mm. as an act of equal. You know.
1: um, I... Spoke a few years ago with the father of a, a girl who at the time was 13 and he told me a story. This is just one story. It's not it's not the only story, but he told me the story of his daughter who had been pressured at school over and over to send a naked photo to this group of boys. or was one boy in the group. And she had resisted. She said she didn't want to do it. And they bullied her so much that she got to the point where she just decided, I'm just going to send it, just to shut them up. And then... She sent it and, of course, then she was abused and harassed and bullied for that. And he was talking to me about how um, difficult it is and how also misleading it is for this... I'm not saying this is what your question is doing, but for the, for the kind of, like, wider sort of hand-wringing media to focus on, oh, the girls are making these stupid decisions... Girls are, you know, so they've only got themselves to blame. They shouldn't, they shouldn't send naked photographs. They need to understand that this, this stuff stays on the internet and the boys can't be trusted when they've got those photos and they should, you know, they should know what to expect. There's no recognition for actually the fact that in some of those cases, those girls feel like they've really been painted into a corner. And so what I would prefer to see happen is not, and not just in terms of Snapchat and photograph sharing, is not always this fixation on girls' behaviour, but a shift into people more generally talking about how can we stop boys from sharing these kinds of photographs? How can we stop boys from bullying girls into sending these kind of photographs? How can we disrupt this assumption that boys exist to be the lookers and girls exist to be the ones looked at? Um, and I say that because I think that it's damaging to boys as well. And I know that there must be boys, there have to be boys operating in schools all over the world who don't want to be doing these kinds of things but are maybe being... And You know, a lot of them aren't doing it. But some boys who are involved with this kind of behaviour who don't want to be involved but don't know how to say no because, of course, one of the pressures placed on teenage boys is they always have to be up for it. They have to be... Uh, you know that the, the re- in Australia it's particularly strong this idea of the red blooded Aussie male. You know that loves a beer and loves loves a woman and loves boobs, beer and bums, um, and it's very it's very heterosexual. It's very aggressive. And what do you do if you're a boy that doesn't fit into that or who doesn't want to fit into that? How do you kind of protect yourself from being targeted by those you know really toxic ideas? Um, So I think that focusing on that behaviour is something that would liberate a lot of people. But I also think that one of the things generally that we can do that uh, I don't have a specific answer for that because so much of what happens in adolescence is very secretive anyway. Um, It's not that Snapchat's the problem, it's, it's that adolescence is this incredibly, like, immediate and intense time where, firstly, adolescents don't have... Their brains fully formed yet, so their impulse control is not in place. Um, but also they're just they're responding so quickly to this like intensity of their environments. So one of the things that I think is best to do for us as a whole community is to focus on empathy and to teach empathy from a really young age, to teach people to think about what it's like to be in other people's shoes. And there's um, a program that operates in Canada called the Roots of Empathy, where they send, um, my understanding of it is that uh, parents, I think it's typically mothers, which is something that needs to be addressed, because fathers should be doing this too. But mothers go and pair, mothers who have toddlers go and pair with a student in a primary school and uh, for a period of time they come and visit, maybe it's a year, they come and visit that student once a week and spend an hour together and the student helps to take care of the toddler. So this young, this person whose brain is still forming is put in a, in a situation where they have to take charge of, of more vulnerable human beings' care. And it's proven to show an increase in the empathy that those children express and experience. And I don't think that I think that that's the key. It's empathy. It's teaching people to have empathy for all others. Um, I, I, I think that the disconnect that causes a lot of this behaviour to, doesn't cause it to, to occur, but that sort of like, I guess, creates the perfect environment for it. Is a lack of understanding or, or interest about other people's experiences in the world. And once again, that centralising of ourselves. Well, I, I don't understand, so therefore it, it's meaningless. I think it's funny, so you should think it's funny.
2: Uh, kia ora, Clementa. Thank you for that speech. It was beautiful. Um, quick question, or two things. One, we do live in a sexist world, we're always battling... Um, not just men anymore with particular opinions on women. I'm a mother, I have two daughters. Obviously, I'm thinking about how I respond to things because they're going to enter this world. Mm. And that gives me often the courage to say, this is just not right, um, which it never is. You know, it's not cool going to work and your boss is paying the guy $100,000 more than you because... ...of no reason, Mm -hmm. Um, and you're doing the same job. There's just so many things that I can think of. One guy says, I'm a silly little girl. I'm his boss within a week, you know? It's Mm -hmm. like, these are the things we deal with, but I'm always mindful. If we don't say, this is not right, we're not happy with this, then we can't then sit back and think our daughters um, have to pick up Mm -hmm. the burdens... Um, we should be trying to make it a little bit better for them, but at the same time, one of the things that's broken my heart a bit is that a lot of the attacks have come from women, not not men. Mm. So I'm reading these comments, going, here we have rate, right, rate, right, slut, slut, can't, can't, and wow. often um, to your face. That's on the internet, but to mm. your face is often from women, and that's heartbreaking. So how do you? deal with that and have you come across it actually? I do think it's heartbreaking. Um, I I have a chapter in my book called Women Against
1: Feminism and it's the title comes from a group online called Women Against Feminism. Um, I differentiate, which is not to say that I excuse it, but I differentiate between the reasons why men say those things to women and the, the reasons why women say those things to women purely because the benefit that each receive from that language is different. Um, the kinds of men who say those things to me do it because they're, they're protecting something, they're protecting power and they're protecting what they perceive to be their power over me, or what they perceive to be their privilege of power over me. Women who behave that way protect the protection that they think that they've been given by men for supporting patriarchal power. So we're all of us figuring out how to negotiate our way through a world that is often unfair. And some of us have chosen to negotiate that path by appealing to the power instead of of becoming a part of a movement that challenges the power. They've decided that there's more benefit to be had personally for them by appealing to the power. So they say things like, well, there's nothing wrong with the world. Everything's fine. I've never experienced sexism. I agree that girls should be more careful, et cetera, et cetera. And it's because they think that if they mark themselves as being on the side of patriarchy, that patriarchy will do everything that it can to make sure they're not harmed by it, which is just not true. Um, there was a... It's, it's... You know, looking at conservative women and con- the way that conservative women prop up patriarchal ideals and all love to, to be the official woman in the room... You know, that they they feel comfortable being the only woman present because they don't have to compete with other women for the tiny amount of power that women are given. So if you conceive of across most industries, women's representation is 30% versus 70%. In the media, that's definitely true. Um, I think that's true in politics, although it could even be less women. Um, there are certain women who look at that and don't go, you know what, we need to be fighting together to make that 50-50 because that, that is what true equality looks like and that is what we deserve. Instead, they say, well, there's only enough room for 30% and I'm going to be at the top of that 30%. Um, so it, it actually services their understanding of the world for them to be the only woman in the room because they understand that there's only a, a certain amount of space for, for women and if they take up that space and they've won somehow, they've achieved greatness in a system that oppresses them and that suits them. Um, yesterday we were talking about your Minister for Women here, who's only a feminist on some days. Um, I don't have any respect for powerful women that distance themselves from the feminist movement and or who do the work of patriarchy to satisfy the more powerful men around them, um, particularly when those women come from positions of class privilege and race privilege and um, economic privilege and educational privilege. And are in positions where they can actually achieve a lot of change but choose choose not to. I don't have any respect for those women. But I recognise that it's more difficult for them to come out and say that they're a feminist than it is for their male colleagues to do it. Because it's easy for men to say that they're feminists. They don't actually have to do anything to prove it. They say that they're a feminist and this is somehow supposed to get them the woman vote. Um, And some women buy it, you know, because they don't expect men to do anything to prove their allegiance to women beyond saying, well, of course, I love women. But a woman who says, I'm a feminist, suddenly marks herself as being someone who might collude against the patriarchy and that becomes a threat to people. So a man's never con- going to collude against... In, in, in the minds of people who value this stuff, a man's never going to collude to bring down the patriarchy that benefits men. So when men say that they're feminists, it's fine. It's not. It's not nothing will change. But a woman who does it, well, we can't trust that she won't treat us, the way that men have always treated women. We can't trust that she'll really be on our side. So it becomes a trickier prospect for her to do it. Of course she should still do it because that's that's just the right thing to do. Um, girls, when they call other girls sluts and bitches and cunts and whores and use the language of, you know, misogynist hatred against each other, are again doing the work of patriarchy for it because they're, they're being good little foot soldiers who are aligning themselves with what they imagine to be the power. I don't think that it's even conscious for a lot of them. I did it when I was in high school. In high school, I was the girl who said, well, of course, I believe in equality, but I wouldn't call myself a feminist. And I definitely called girls sluts and said that girls shouldn't behave in certain ways, and they only had themselves to blame. Because surprise, surprise, I grew up in a rape culture, and I didn't have anyone around me questioning it. Um, If the impulse for me, which I imagine is true for a lot of girls, was that I wanted boys to like me. I didn't want to be separated any more than I already felt separate. Because despite all of the things that I said, I still instinctively knew that I was never going to be one of them and that I was never going to be respected as one of them. So I needed to put myself in a position where I made sure that they always knew that I would respect them, Um, that they didn't have anything to fear from me. And... Luckily, I realised fairly early on that that was bullshit and also that it wasn't making me happy. And it certainly wasn't getting me any further in terms of feeling good about myself. Um, so I think that all we can do with young girls who who use that kind of language is try and, try and educate them as to a different way to be, but also be patient that they might just be on a journey to their own liberation, that they might not be like that forever, that it's not worth getting so upset about, and I'm not saying you, but some people do, about young teenage girls not calling themselves feminists because it's not about whether or not they call themselves feminists, it's about whether or not you plant the seeds. And there are certain times in women's lives when they, they just can no longer fool themselves anymore about the inequality that they experience. For some women, that's when they enter the workforce and they have to deal with sexism, they have to deal with um, the knowledge, even though there are some people who say the wage gap doesn't exist, it's been proven to exist, and anecdotally, you can speak to any number of women who have found out that their male colleagues are being paid more than them. In some cases, male colleagues who have less experience and lower job titles than them. Um, So it's either then, it may be if they choose to become a mother, Later on and they realise that the, you know, huge gender disparity of labour that goes into raising families. Um, or it may be when they become old and invisible. Because if they've traded on being the right kind of woman their whole life, the right kind of attractive woman who keeps herself nice and pretty and then all of a sudden becomes invisible, what do they have left? So I feel like being patient while they're on that journey is very difficult to do sometimes but it's also something that we can, it's necessary in some cases.
3: Hi. Um, So I'm 17 in year 12 and um, it's quite common for girls to send um, nude pictures to boys. And on... On three occasions, I was kind of hinted by not a boyfriend, not anyone I was in a relationship with, but a friend um, that, you know, to send. And I said, if you dare ask me for nudes, I will block you and never talk to you again. <laughs> Thank you. Um, yeah, give her a round of applause. <laughs> um, I- Quite recently, one of my friends had, she'd been in a relationship and, it, and she'd sent quite um, bad photos to her boyfriend at the time and he'd leaked them out or someone had got on his phone. Or I don't really know what had happened but he is known in school as a boy who, he has lots of photos of lots of different girls and somehow a teacher found out and called her in and asked her about it and she gave all the names of all the girls that she knew he had asked for nude photos. And it had come out and there was a big furore because people were angry and saying, she's a knock, she has no right to tell on him whatever, it's none of her business. And two girls, two other girls, my good friends of mine were saying that she's just a stirrer. And I said, hang on, hang on. This doesn't make sense. He was the boy that asked her to send photos, which personally I think is the biggest insult you could ever do. Um, And she stood up for the right thing, and she was being told. Not him, who has nude photos of heaps of girls, but the one who actually stood up and did something about it. And I said... Um, If he's not stopped, obviously he's just going to get more and he's just going to leak more girls' personal photos. And it made me really angry that we're in a society, which is like the rape thing, Mm. like blaming the victim. She was the victim in the story. Um, It's almost like blaming someone for um, telling a crime done against them. It doesn't make any sense. So actually, I'm wanting to ask your opinion ...on um, girls sending nudes. Because I think it degrades a woman... ...and it like kind of levels her down to saying that... ...sorry, I don't really like talking to you... ...I just want to see photos of you.
1: Um, uh, Well, I wish I had friends like you in high school. I'll just start by saying that. Um, I don't agree that... I don't agree with the blanket statement that sending nude photographs is degrading. I think that, uh, and I, the reason I say that is because in respectful, uh, consensual relationships where uh, the person that you're sending, whether or not you're in a relationship, uh, like a, a monogamous relationship with a person or not, when there's a contract of consent and respect, you should be able to explore sexuality with each each other and part of that might be sending nude photographs to each other or sending sexual photographs to each other and expect that the person that you, you have engaged with that consensual respectful contract with will not betray your trust. So the issue for me is not the sending of the photograph, the issue for me is the deep lack of respect and disgust that so many boys seem to have for girls and the entitlement that they seem to have for how they can treat those girls. It also has to be recognized in the context that those boys, uh, and I'm not removing blame from them, but they've grown up in the same culture that we all have, which is a rape culture. And when I say rape culture, for those who don't fully understand what that means, as I said, it's not a culture that teaches people how to rape someone, but that minimizes the impact of sexual violence in the culture that you live in by providing a series of excuses for the people who are most likely to perpetrate that violence and reducing it only to this sort of like very actually rare and um, stereotypical idea of what sexual violence looks like. Um, It's also one that values uh, practices like victim blaming and slut shaming and projecting uh, the responsibility onto girls to be the gatekeepers of boys' sexuality, that boys are not held to be responsible for their sexual urges because, of course, as boys, they all want... Uh, This is not me saying this, this is the idea behind it. They they should all want to, to, you know, sow their wild oats and, you know, get as many girls as they can, even though not all boys want that at all but are still, you know, impacted by that. Um, And as girls, it's our responsibility to be the moral high ground, to keep our legs closed, to keep our knees shut, to make sure that we protect boys from themselves. And that if we choose to engage with our sexuality in the way that we're not supposed to, that we we should expect what we get coming to us. Um, So those boys have been raised in that environment the same way that we all have. And it's one that tells us that boys will be boys, that they should never be held accountable for their actions, that um, it's not fair, as your friends even policed, it's not fair to make him be responsible for it. She's just stirring... Um, It's really interesting how much leeway is given to teenage boys especially, particularly teenage boys from a very particular kind of background, to make mistake after mistake after mistake and be treated as if it's just all part of this, like, you know, colourful journey of life that they're on and that they should never really truly have to suffer anything for it. If any of you remember the story of Brock Turner in... America, the Stanford rapist. Um, Brock Turner was the classic kind of picture of white male privilege, you know, privileged family, going to Stanford University, swimmer, on track to go to the Olympics. And raped a woman outside, you know, a fraternity party and was caught. Despite the fact that he was caught, and despite the fact that she was unconscious and that her medical reports supported what, uh, you know, that a fact that sexual violence had occurred, he was still defended by some people. His father saying in court, notably, that Brock shouldn't have to suffer... ..shouldn't have to be punished for 20 minutes of action. And that they... You know, then it became this thing where they their defence argued that it was really not, not a case of sexual violence at all. It was that they'd both been drinking and that what we really needed to target was binge-drinking culture on campus and that after Brock's jail sentence finished, he would go on a tour of college campuses and warn against getting too drunk, as if it was somehow being drunk that made him rape that girl. Um, Now, that situation is interesting, because I feel strongly that in any other circumstances, as was shown also with the case of Steubenville, as was shown also to an extent with the Auckland Roastbusters, um, in any other circumstances, Brock Turner's innocence would have been upheld by more people Um, and or his innocence would have been, or his guilt would have been accepted, but it would have been furthered, you know, that he shouldn't have to be, he shouldn't have to suffer, surely she should take some responsibility too, et cetera, et cetera. The only thing that made that case different was that there were two male cyclists that rode past at the same time. And they stopped him and they pulled him off and they provided a witness account to the police that backed up her story. I contend that if those two cyclists had been women that the response would have been very different and all of a sudden it would have been about how, well, I put it to you that what happened was that these three women all knew each other and one of them had been rejected by Brock Turner and so they colluded together to fabricate this story and it's revenge. Now, that may not have played in court, but I think a lot of people would have said something along those lines. But they trust men who witness something and they trust men who stand up for women because that plays into their idea of, of saviorhood. I also think that what's interesting about that is that uh, if white people are used to centralising ourselves in stories, then white men are definitely used to making themselves the centre of stories because stories have historically always catered to them as being the main protagonists. So men who might normally respond to um, a circumstance where sexual violence is being discussed, particularly when feminists are discussing it, by saying, why do you hate men? You know, well... We don't know that it really happened like that. I think are responding to uh, testimonies of sexual violence in which there is only one man present, that being the rapist, with being unable to recognise that they don't belong in the story. So all they see is a man in the story who is a rapist, and they feel like, well, but if I'm thinking about the story, then that's the only person I can identify with. And I don't identify with the rapist. So why am I being made to feel bad about this? Not all men are rapists. But because in the Brock Turner story, there were suddenly two heroes that they could identify with, a lot more men, this is just a theory that I have, a lot more men were able to look at and go, in that situation, I would have been the cyclist, and I would have stopped this from happening. And that is why I'm comfortable with acknowledging that this sexual attack actually took place. And just to go back to what we touched on a little bit with the racism in pointing to other countries... uh, You know, when people talk about places like Pakistan where they say you need four male witnesses to prove that a rape happened, they think that that's any different here? It's not. Um, It's just not legally enshrined. So that's a long kind of like convoluted way to say that I don't think that it's about... um, I don't think that there's anything wrong with exploring sexuality with each other. I think what needs to happen from a very young age is that men and women both, and girls and boys, need to be taught empathy for each other, they need to be taught respect. And we need to take on the burden as a society of actually demanding change from young men instead of accepting that the world is theirs to grow up and into and the world for women is one that they need to shrink in and protect themselves from. Thank you. But I will just say one thing quickly, even though I uh, theoretically don't think that there's anything wrong with girls sending nude photographs to whoever they want, and they should be able to send it to whoever they want, I'm not saying that they shouldn't do it because you should know what the world is like, I would never say that. But I wish that more of them would stop doing it because I just don't think teenage boys generally deserve to see their naked bodies.
0: Look, just want to thank everyone so much for coming. I know there were more questions, but unfortunately we just don't have time. Um, just to let you know if you enjoyed this, there is another feminist speaker on Tuesday, Rennie Edo-Lodge, and you can buy tickets through the Word Festival um, website. Um, Clementine, thank you so much. Um, you can grab a little bit more of her out in the foyer when you uh, go buy her book and get it signed. Thank you. Thank you so-